Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor Kent Steiner. Can you believe that uh, September is over? We're, we're in here in October already, October uh, 1st, our very first uh, Sunday um, in October here together. And... Um, and in that, I've got a really great announcement for everybody here. Um, our pastor, John, and his wife, Danielle, have been on this sabbatical season. And uh, they are so grateful for your prayers and all the support that's been given uh, here from our church body. And God is at work, and they're feeling really refreshed and renewed. And Pastor John was texting me all these things this morning of how what's happening in his life. And Danielle's feeling the same. So just really grateful that we've been able to come alongside of them, and they've had this time. And so they're really seeing God at work um, in every way. So wanted to let you know that. Uh, but also this... Um, the very last Sunday of October, October 29th, then uh, we are excited to have Pastor John back to uh, bring the word and uh, have a message for us. So yes, we can uh, be clapping for that for sure. And so uh, he's very excited to do that. And so Lord willing, uh, October 29th will be that Sunday um, where they're with us uh, together as a family. And so Again, uh, they have this whole month of October still, so, so uh, praying for the Lord to still use this in every way that he uh, would have. Well, hey, we've uh, been in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 um, until last Sunday, and uh, uh, we had uh, Roy Patterson here. And uh, what, how grateful was it to have uh, Roy here uh, bring God's word? And uh, yes, and I I wish I could be leading us in Jamaican song and worship as, as he did, uh, but I think you're grateful that, that I don't. Um, but man, that was a, a blessing to, uh, to have him here and to really see even our hearts just sort of be uh, molded and shaped in God's word uh, through his um, serving us here. Well, we are back in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. We've done uh, two messages so far in this series, and the series is Take Hold of the divine nature. We got to take hold of the divine nature. See, uh, to take hold means to, to start to have a definitive, a definitive effect. And so we have to see what God has given to us, have a definitive effect in our life to really take hold. And how does that happen? And so we've been walking through Second uh, Peter 1 to see that. And our first message uh, was about becoming partakers of the divine nature. So uh, if you've got your Bible, let's uh, turn this to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you get it on your phone, uh, that's great as well. And we're going to look at verse 4 just to highlight uh, where we started. Of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. It says this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. See, this is what has been offered to us. God is holy. He's a holy, holy God. And since he is holy, we are to be holy. God is love. He's just not loving. He is love. And we're partake of who he is by his spirit at work within us. God is truth. 
And we should be living out truth because of his nature uh, within us. And so that was our first message. And then our second message, as we then transition to verse 5, was to exercise our faith. We've got to exercise our faith and keep it, and keep it. Let's look at verse 5 here. It says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. See, we went through this. There's a great opportunity for us to make every effort to supplement our faith. And if we do that, there's these seven godly qualities that we saw there that we can have and that we can hold on to. But also in that text as well, it gave us a great warning right, that we are in danger when we're not doing that. We can't just coast because if we do, we start to lose our faith. We start to lose the connection to what we have together in the Lord. So we have to exercise our faith and keep it, praise God. And so here's our last message as we arrive and taking hold of the divine nature, and it's this, it's real convictions, real convictions for real life. See, we need to have real convictions for real life. And we're starting in verse 16. We're going to go through the rest of the chapter. But as we're getting to that and looking at that, let's talk about that word convictions. What does the word conviction mean? Well, right here, it's a firm, it's a fixed or firm belief. So whatever is fixed in your mind, what is you are set on, what you have affirmed as a belief that isn't going to be shaken. And maybe an example of that is, you know, I'm looking at a bunch of people that are sitting down right now. And hey, as you came in here and you sat down, you had some level of belief, firm belief that that chair was going to do what it was supposed to do. It was going to hold you up. And so you're sitting there right now. And uh, I don't think you're even worried about it because you have a firm belief the chair is going to do what it's going to do. So I think we all have that, but then there's some t things, beliefs that we have that are different, and uh, maybe that's about what is best. Uh, so for example, uh, you might uh, go uh, to a fine Mexican restaurant, and you got the option of a flour or a corn tortilla, all right? So you might have a firm belief for yourself, what is best? Which one do I want to have, and which one do you feel like is the best tasting and to do that? What about this uh, PC? or Mac, right? So man, there's a lot of opinions about that, you know, which is the best one and why and all the reasons for all that. We have fixed and firm beliefs about sort of those kind of things in life. Well, hey, as a church, we also have a firm belief, and one of those is this. It's why we're here this morning, that we can't do this on our own right? That we need each other. There's no lone rangers when it comes to following the Lord. And so we have that belief. That's why we're here together in person or we're gathering together online at this time because we need to come together. We have that belief. Well, that's what a conviction is. But why is a conviction so vital? Why is it that we need them in our lives? It's this, because they determine how we live. Based on the convictions, the beliefs we have, they determine how we live. Just use this for an example. If you found a good and fair and reasonable auto mechanic, what happens the next time you get into an accident? Right? 
You know where to go, right? You're gonna go right back to that mechanic because you have belief that they're gonna be good at what they do. They're gonna be fair and do that. And actually, if someone asks you, hey, you know, uh, I'm in a situation I need to have a mechanic, you might even recommend them to someone else. See, when we have a conviction, we have a belief, right? Then we live that out. Then we share that with others. That's how we live. It determines how we live. See, here's the thing, sisters and brothers, as we gather here this morning, I want you to hear this. This is true. Convictions without actions are delusions. See, convictions without actions are actually delusions. Someone states, hey, I believe that everyone uh, should be a vegan, all right? And uh, man, uh, I've, I've heard many people talk about that. I've chosen to be a vegan. Here's the reasons why. And actually, it'd be much better if all of us would be vegans and give up meat and all those things. And there's fine reasons for that. And that's great for someone to choose that and even believe that that's what would be best for everybody. But here's the situation. What if you found out that uh, the self-declared vegan every Saturday night went and got out their favorite steak. Every Saturday night, they roll on down to the steakhouse, and man, they couldn't wait to dig in and to have that steak. See, it's fine to have the uh, belief, have that conviction of being a vegan, right? But without action, all you have is delusions. That's what's going on, and so... That's what we need to address here today is this. For those who go to church on Sundays, say prayers before their meals, might give Jesus a shout out here or there, but live like everyone else six days a week. See, our convictions without actions our delusions. See, Peter here declares this truth, that if these things are real, if these things that we believe, that we hold on to, that we've been in in 2 Peter chapter 1, if that's really true, it's going to transform our lives. That we're going to submit our lives, and that's what's going to determine how we live. That's what Peter here is exhorting us to do. See, Jesus isn't a concept to just make us feel good or to help us do better. He's a real-life provision for our real lives each and every day. So as we dig in now to these verses here in 2 Peter 1, let's look for these convictions that Peter's going to hold up for us that then we get to live out. So let's go to verse 16, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. For we did not follow cleverly designed myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we... For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, mat, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scriptures come from someone's own interpretation. That's right. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But when men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And real convictions for our real life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word and this truth here. Lord, I would humbly declare I'm not... I'm not in a place to be able to proclaim this in the way that you would have for it to be. So I pray, would you just strengthen me? Lord, would you enable my sisters, would you enable my brothers to hear it in the way that you would have for us to hear it? Lord, this word we're reading here is either true or it's not. Either we're gonna take hold of it by your grace and through your power. Lord, help us not to live in any delusion, but to live in truth. Help us to come alongside of each other. That's why we're here. So just encourage us wherever we're at, Lord, for what it is that we can have in you. We just pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here's our first conviction uh, that we find in our text here in verse 16. And let's read uh, verse 16. It says this, for we did not follow cleverly designed myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's our first conviction, is that Christ isn't a fairy tale. Christ isn't a fairy tale. And so if we're sisters and brothers in Christ, that's got to be a conviction that we have. So let me just define to you a fairy tale. And again, there's multiple definitions for a fairy tale. So I'm not going against the, the stories that we read and, you know, the movies that we see. But here is a definition of a fairy tale. Um, and it's this, a made-up story usually designed to mislead. So that's the kind of fairy tale I'm talking about is a story that's designed by women or by men, and it's designed to mislead a fairy tale. And see, that's what Peter's declaring right here, that we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Christ is not a fairy tale when it comes to what we are seeing here in God's word. And what Peter then is arguing is, I know that because I was an eyewitness. See, we see that right here in the text. Finishing verse 16. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. All right? Now, here's the thing. If, uh, if there was an accident right out here on the intersection, let's just uh, say, and, uh, you know, an investigator came in and, hey, why did this uh, accident happen? You know, there's two cars uh, crashing and sort of in that 
what is the investigator going to want to see and want to find out? Is there an eyewitness? Is there some eyewitnesses? Did someone see how this went down? Was there someone standing on the corner? Was there an eyewitness to this accident? Because that's the most reliable thing is if actually there's an eyewitness, not the person driving or was in the car, but someone that could see everything that was going on at that time. And the more eyewitnesses, the better, right? See, Peter is declaring that he's an eyewitness of Jesus Christ himself. What did Peter see? What did the others that were with him, what did they see in Christ? That's in verses 17 and 18. Let's go right to that. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, what this is referring to is that Peter was at the transfiguration of Jesus. So you might have heard that before, and where we can find that is in multiple Gospels. But let's just go through the account in Matthew and see what Peter is saying I was an eyewitness of and see what actually happened here. So we got some verses to read together, but let's go through this together. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. So let's look at this together. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, literally transfigured. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. See, this is man trying to describe a supernatural spiritual transfiguration. He was still speaking. I mean, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. See, he doesn't want to go away. He wants to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. How great that would be. He was still speaking when behold. So picture this, church. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Then God the Father says this, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. See how tender he is? With the disciples, see how tender he is with us? He touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. See, this is what Peter is referring to that he's an eyewitness of. And see, we have to say, this is what God's word tells us happened. Do we believe that this is true? See, Peter's exhorting the church, and he is now doing that for us right here uh, in this room here together to believe in Jesus, but also then to live like it. If this is true about our Jesus, then how are we living that out? How is that happening? You see that in verse 13 as we uh, were in last uh, time we were together. Verse 13 of 2 Peter 1 says this. This is what Peter was doing. 
He says, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. See, he's stirring us up about these things. Are we taking hold of the divine nature that we have within us? See, these real convictions will change how we live. Not perfectly, right? We're all going to struggle, have difficulty. That's why we're here together through the ups and downs. But clearly, God should be at work in our lives, transforming us. And praise God how we're seeing that all the time happening in and through all of us here together. Do we want this, right? That's what Peter's like saying. Do you want this, church? Do you want what I've seen, what I've been an eyewitness for? See, church, what the Bible says about Jesus, it's just straight up crazy. It's just straight up crazy unless it's true. We have to reckon to that fact that unless it's true, it is crazy. Here's the truth that we believe about Jesus here at Chicago West. We're going to walk through just a few of them here together so we know what we're holding on to. Here's the first one. Is Jesus fully God and fully man? Jesus in a fairy tale, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. How do we know that? John chapter one, verses one and 14. Here's verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory just as Peter saw his glory in the transfiguration. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is fully God and fully man. That is what we believe. There's no one else that we believe is fully God and fully man. Only Jesus Christ alone. Anybody else that would claim that, we would think they're crazy. But do we believe that this is true, church? First one. Here's the second one. Jesus died as our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus Christ came and lived a life, and just like all of us sin, he did not sin. He lived the perfect life here. He was tempted by Satan himself Right, But then as he went to the cross, he could take our sins upon himself because he could pay for our sins because he is a holy God. And what happened is he died on the cross. Our sins were put upon him. God the Father put our sins upon his own son. He had to turn his back on his own son because the sins were upon him. And Jesus took those on the cross and he died for our sins. That's why we say Jesus in our place. See, Jesus died as our substitute. Here's the third truth we believe. Jesus rode bodily from the grave. He rose again. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. Verses three and four. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also have received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I was just, I was just looking at uh, when Easter is uh, coming, and it's uh, the last Sunday in March. So it's an early one. So we can't wait, right, to celebrate that Jesus is risen, that he died and rose again and has victory over sin and death. That's what has been given uh, to us. What is Jesus doing right now? This is what we believe Jesus is doing right now. It's this, that he is seated at the right hand of God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. It says this, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. See, as Jesus rose again, then he was reunited with God the Father, And now he is the mediator between God and man. That is who we have for us. Jesus Christ himself, he is seated at the right hand. And here's the fifth truth that we'll highlight here this morning that we believe is that Jesus will return to earth in power and glory. Amen, we can clap to that. We can celebrate that, that Jesus is coming back for us. John 14, 3. Let's read this together. John 14, 3. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Oh, let's get to uh, John 14, 3. Is that it? Okay. Um, now the point we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. We want to see at the right hand. No, that's, that's not uh, John 14, 3, I don't think. So let's go. Let me get to John 14, 3. All right, I'm reading it off here. Let's go to John 14, 3. All right, let me get that here this morning. John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Amen. Let me read John 14, 3 again. It says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Amen. Jesus coming back for us that where I am, you may be also. See, this really is just crazy stuff if it is a fairy tale. Right, if it's made up by humans who decided to make something to help us feel better or just to do better, then really, what are, why are we wasting our time? We're just functioning in de- delusion. But here, church, if this is true, right, then this is how we should be living this out together, taking hold of the divine nature. Hey, you've all seen this at some point, right? Um, a hazy picture of Bigfoot. All right, I think we got this up here for you to, to show you. You've seen a uh, hazy picture of Bigfoot. We've seen this at some point, right? But here's the thing. Why would you go on a month-long excursion to go find Bigfoot if you really didn't believe he existed? See, that would just be a delusional state of, hey, I'm going to go for a month trying to find Bigfoot if you really didn't believe that Bigfoot existed. See, Chicago West, as we gather together here this morning, 
Peter is exhorting us, church, Jesus truly is the son of God. And if he truly is the son of God, then he isn't just a great man. That isn't who he is. Peter is saying, I have been with Jesus. I have seen him glorified. I have seen God the Father himself declare that this is his son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has been sent for me. Jesus has been sent for you. That is what we believe. I love Colossians 1, 27 through 29. Let's read this here together. Colossians 1, 27 through 29. Let me uh, get to that here. And I'll read it for us. All right. says this, starting at uh, end of verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Peter's exhorting us that here. Can we cry that out from the depths of our souls, that that's what we have been given? If that is true, it's to determine who we are. One of our classes in the faith essentials, right, is finding our identity in Christ, Is our identity in Christ above all other identities, about our jobs, about the things that we do, about how people look at us? Our identity is in Christ. It should determine who we are and what we do. But here's the thing I want to say. If you are questioning your faith, if you are doubting, if you're here and you're not sure, hey, is this really true? God's grace to you here. This is not an argument for you to say, hey, you know, we're judging you right now and you got to get your act straight. No, in every way, God comes lovingly and just appeals and invites each and every one of us to the truth of who he is, that we can embrace that and that we can know that. So I'm not up here demanding that you believe this. But what I am standing up here with is with Peter exhorting us who say that we believe this. Is this what we are holding on to? Is this what we are living out in our lives? that Jesus Christ isn't a fairy tale. He is who he claims to be. See, the truths of Jesus are why Chicago West exists above all else. The things we just read, that's why we're here. This is why this church exists at this time. Our very first value, you can see it on our signs right here on our corners. The very first value we have is this that we are to be a Christ-centered culture and a Bible-teaching culture. See, Christ-centered culture, that's why we're gathered here to encourage each other to keep our eyes focused on the author and finisher of our faith. That as I follow Christ, follow me, and as you follow Christ, I follow you. That is what we're seeking to do together. Everything that we gather together is in Christ. But it also says a Bible teaching culture. That's what we want our church life to be. 
And so this value directs us to our second conviction. Our first one is Christ isn't a fairy tale. Here's our second conviction. Scripture isn't creative literature. Scripture isn't creative literature. Now, uh, I don't want to get my, uh, my professor, uh, Rosa de Rosé, upset with me um, that I took creative lit with in college. She was amazing. She fired me up for creative literature and so read a lot of different books and uh, poems. And man, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, and really, my, my mind was just blown and sort of taking in all that uh, through that uh, class that I took. And so when I say creative le- literature, it doesn't mean that creative literature is bad in any way. Creative literature can be used in very good ways. But scripture, God's word, what I've just been reading from, isn't creative literature. That's what's being declared right here in verses 20 and 21. Let's check that out together. It says this, if with Christ you died, oh, sorry, I gotta get to 1 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, all right, verse 20, here we go. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Not creative literature. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. See, here's the thing. As uh, we come to God's word, lots of different people believe lots of different things about this Bible I'm holding up right now. In 2017, uh, Gallup poll was done, and uh, 26% of Americans uh, said that they believe this about the Bible. It's that it's an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. So I think that fits the definition of creative literature, right? So many do believe that. And here's the first thing that I do want to say is this. If you do believe that it's creative literature, you have every right to believe that. You're sitting here in this room at this time. If someone invited you here, if you've been checking out the church, it's okay that you uh, believe that. We're so glad that you are here this morning. And so in this time, though, I am declaring what we believe as a church, that we believe this about God's word. And so if you want to be here and to take that in at this time, that is what I'm declaring to you. And we would uh, take it as a privilege to interact with you if you have any questions or things about what we're declaring here at this time, about what's being stated about God's word. This is not here We're not here to win an argument or to speak over each other. That's not what's happening. 26% of Americans believe God's word is creative literature. 24% of Americans agreed with this statement. The Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. So as we're declaring right here, uh, many Americans do believe this or are stating that they uh, believe that. 40% of Americans in this uh, poll uh, said this. They agreed mostly with this statement. The Bible is inspired word of God, but not everything in it should be taken literally. All right, so somewhere in between there is uh, where many uh, land. 
to Chicago West, even as I state this as a good reminder for us that we need to know what's going on with people around us, understand where people are coming from, because this is true, right? That we are to love only the neighbors who agree with us. All right, I heard a few, a few, uh, heard a few no's, all right? That is a false statement, right? I'm glad that we know that, right? That we're not to love only the neighbors that agree with us. That's not what is true. God calls us to love all our neighbors as ourselves. Love all our neighbors as ourselves. It's good for us to understand others so we can love them right where they're at. And a reminder, anything that we believe that we have, that we're holding on to, it is only by the grace of God that we have that. Not that we've achieved it or earned it or anything special about us, me included as well. Church, you didn't come here this morning, though, to hear about what is the most popular opinion or what I have to say to you. But let's continue to hear what God's word has to say for us, all right? Let's keep after this. Using the verses right here in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's go over what God's word claims about itself. What does God's word claim about itself? Just right here in this chapter, let's look at verses 20 and 21 again. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own inter interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, God's word is inspired by God himself. Second Timothy 3.16 says, God's word is breathed through those who wrote it by the Holy Spirit. It's the inspired word of God. That's what it claims right here. Here's a second truth that it claims, that God's word is actually true. So let's look at verse 19 again. It says this, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. See, God's word is true. Let's look at Psalms uh, chapter 12 and verse 6. It says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. God's word is true. It claims to be true. Here's the third truth. God's word is sufficient. It's sufficient. Let's look at uh, verse 3. Right here in 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. See, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness by the power of the spirit revealing to us the truth of God's word. He shows us what it is that we have. God's word is sufficient for our lives. And here's the last one just to highlight here together about God's word is that it's Christ-centered. Everything is directed to Christ. Let's look at verse two. It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
See, Scripture in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, and the New Testament is declaring Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus. It's all Christ-centered. Let's look at Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4, as it continues that. Maybe let's just embrace this as a church as I'm just about to read this. Let's read this together. Is this what we're holding to together this morning as sisters and brothers in Christ? Let's read this together. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. See, it's in Christ and through Christ that we have fellowship in Christ together. Amen. See, sisters and brothers in Christ, if the real conviction here in the scripture isn't that it's creative writing, what is it then? What is it then? God's word just simply is God's word. God's word is God's word. If you believe that, you can say that to your neighbor. God's word is God's word. That's what we believe is true, and that's what God's word declares to us. But a reminder again, if God's word is not God's word, it's worthless. See, if it is just creative writing, why would we commit our lives to it? because then it just spews a bunch of lies that are just made up by delusional people. God's word can't be good if it's not God's word. And so we just have to know that there, it's gotta be one or the other. There is no in-between. If God's word is God's word, then this last conviction must be real for us in our real life. So we're getting to our last conviction here, real for us in our real life. It's this, that God's word is our light for life. God's word is our light for life. Let's go to verse 19 as we have been in it. It says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. See, church, we have to believe in three realities that are declared here for us to really live this conviction out that God's word is our light for life. Here's the first thing that we have to believe is that we must know we need light. We must know that we need light. See, it says shining in a dark place. So I want to share with you something that happened to me uh, recently. I was driving right down Austin here, driving uh, south uh, towards the highway uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, I was driving, it was pretty warm out, and my window was down. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden, I just hear uh, through my window, Kent, Kent, Kent. And I'm like, I'm literally driving. And I'm like, where's this coming from? I look over, and the other car that's uh, driving right next to me, I look over, and uh, right away, I'm like, I recognize you, right? I, that's what, you know, have you ever had that happen before, right? I recognize you, but I wasn't sure exactly who this is, but I knew right away I recognize you. And good reason, because about 20 years ago was the last time that I had seen him. About 20 years before then. And so uh, 
Some of you know this, but probably not all of you know this, for uh, my first ministry experience in serving out of Moody Bible Institute was I was the youth director at Breakthrough Urban Ministries. So um, and I was waiting for my breakthrough people. I'll give a shout out. Yeah. Yes, yeah, praise God for breakthrough and how I was serving here in the city. And uh, yeah, so I was out working with youth at that time. And uh, man, I loved that time and it was, it was great. And so, uh, so I was serving uh, with youth. And uh, yeah, so that was for a season of my life. Then I moved on to becoming a pastor. And so many of the youth that I worked with, I would see at different times and kept connection with. Uh, but as I was driving down Austin Avenue, I hadn't seen this individual since about 20 years ago when he was 19 years old. And so this reminded me, though, of a time when uh, him and some others that I took that were youth uh, for Breakthrough, we would just try and get away, right? And so we go, our youth are going on a retreat. That's really cool in a couple of weeks. So again, uh, youth, it'd be great for you to, to go. There's nothing like just getting away for a period of time and, and doing that. And so I was taking some uh, guys with some of uh, my friends that were volunteering. And so we were driving and just sort of getting away. And here's the thing I remember, you know, uh, we were bringing like these you know, 14 and 15-year-olds old, you know, tough guys from, from the city. And uh, here's the thing about them, though, is they weren't used to darkness, all right? Uh, because, you know, it's, it's light all the time around in, in the neighborhood. It's never fully dark. It doesn't seem very often in, in any way. And so um, as we were driving down, you know, we were just a couple miles from the camp that we were going to. It's completely dark, just completely dark. And so one thing I just realized is, man, if I just pull over here right now, um, and I uh, just turn the van off, and uh, I just turn the lights off, and I just step out. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen. And so, uh, so that's what I did. I just sort of pulled over. I don't know why this came to mind, but I just did that, just sort of messed with the guys, and I stepped out, and all of a sudden, um, I started to hear, hey, Kent, where'd you, where'd you go? And uh, then I remember hearing, stop messing with us, stop messing with us, and Hey, back in the 90s, that's what we said, you know, stop messing with us. So, uh, and so, uh, so I was just, just hearing that. And it's, you know, you know, one and two and then all the guys in the van or whatever, right? And all of a sudden, because they realize they're in the dark. They're in the complete dark. They cannot see a thing. And they are afraid. And they are desperate for light. They are desperate, desperate for the light. They are crying out for the light. This won't be a reality for our lives unless we know that we need light. Unless we know that we need light because on our own and through this world, we are in the dark. That's the first reality. Here's the second reality. We must believe that God's word is light. So it says right here, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Shining in dark places. Reminds me of Psalm 119, 105 that says uh, this, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what your word, that's what God's word is. The first thing is a lamp to my feet. See, God's word as a light 
is to show us first where we're currently at, right? Just as these guys were in the dark, you don't even know where you're at until the light comes down, you can see where you're at. So how does that work out in God's word? How does his word shine light into where we're at? Let's take this for example. If you are feeling empty inside, if you are feeling discouraged, if you are feeling dissatisfied, let's let God's word be a lamp to our feet to show us where we're at. Let's look at Romans 8 and verse 6. Let's read this together. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. See, if our hope is in what we can accomplish, hey, if our circumstances will go the way that we are hoping to, and we ride the roller coaster, right, of life, the ups and downs in every way, if that's what we're looking to, what we're able to attain, survival of the fittest, whatever that is, if our mind is, if we set our mind on the flesh, It's death, it's emptiness, it leads us nowhere. See, that's God's word, a light unto our feet where we're at, but also it shines a light unto our path, right? A light to my path. It shows us where we need to go. So let's look at all of Romans 8 and verse 6. Let's read the whole verse here together. For to set the mind of flesh is death, but here's the lamp. And here's, here's the light unto our path. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, the spirit that is with us, that gives us life. That's what gives us peace. And so if we are feeling empty, if we are feeling discouraged, that God's word is how we step into what it is that he only can give us, life and peace. See, we must believe God's word is Light shows us where we are to go. Here's the third and last reality. We must turn the light on in our life. We must turn the light on in our life. Um, Verse 19 continues to say, to which you will dwell, do well to pay attention. Do well to pay attention. See, as our worship team is going to be coming up right now, what happens uh, when you get to the place that you live at night, it's dark outside, what's the first thing that you do when you get to the place that you live? Yeah, you turn the light on, right? That's what you do when you get to a dark place, you turn the light on. God's word is how we are to live and we must turn the light on, sisters. We must turn the light on, brothers, of God's word in our lives. That's what we need to be getting after together. In order to do that, first, we got to put aside what is deceiving and distracting you. So in order to do that, sometimes there's things that are literally bringing us destruction in our lives. They're taking us from where God would have for us. And the sins that so easily beset us, sometimes we have to be, I am going to break away from that. But also, there can be things that are distracting us. And sometimes you think, like, do I really have time to get up in the morning and be in God's word? (laughs) At lunchtime, to take 10 minutes aside before I go to bed, man, I got so much going on. I got so many things. In order 
for us to turn the light on. Sometimes we have to put aside what is distracting us, what is deceiving us. But then we've got to put inside, put inside what is to direct us. And what is to direct us? God's word. And that's why I love this opportunity that we have, church, coming uh, for us right away. And that's this, this faith essentials, right? We've been highlighting this. So we have that right after our time uh, this morning here. We're going to have it on Wednesday nights. Everything that's in here, right, is helping us to hold on to, right, the divine nature. And again, if you can come to one class, come to one class, right? Come to the seven if you're at all able to do that. There's going to be people from our own church living real lives with their own real convictions, sharing that with us. And if we are going to make this a priority, make every effort, let's try and do that uh, together. So as we close in 2 Peter chapter 1, we need to partake of who he is in us. We need to exercise our faith and keep it. We need to have real convictions for our real lives. And all this needs to be done in Christ-centered community. See, we need each other to help each other turn the light on, to encourage each other to keep after it, to remind each other of what we believe in and what we have. So again, I'm not saying here at all that you got to do everything all the time that the church is doing. Please hear me on that. We need to be healthy. You know, this isn't just, hey, whoever does the most. I'm just saying, let's make it a priority, right? Let's make a priority growing together in the Lord and in our faith. I love the final phrase of, uh, of uh, 2 Peter 1 here in verse 19 that really closes this all down here with us. It says this, until the dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, the morning star is Jesus Christ himself. See, right now, our lives are to be focused on the hope of his return. He is coming back for us, as it has been declared to us. There is a day of Christ's return, and it will dawn. It will dawn. He is coming back for us. See, it's declaring here that the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah was going to come and Jesus did come. But now we're holding on to the truth that he's coming back for us. The day is dawning where the morning star will rise in our hearts. And maybe just to take this in as we close, I just want us to take in this, uh, this short piece of a song for us to hold on to as we close out this message. There's a rising hope and it's breaking the day. Brilliant love prevails and we have been saved. A morning star, Jesus, that's who you are. And your love is the light of our lives. Yes, your love is the light of our lives. Morning star, Jesus, that's who you are. 
And your love is the light of our lives. Yes, your love is the light of our lives. Oh Lord, right now, would you make that true? That your light is the light of our lives. Jesus, the morning star, you're coming back for us. Help us to take hold of this divine nature that you've promised to us. Help us to encourage each other and come alongside of each other to live this out through the challenges and difficulties of life. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's discouraged, doubting, not sure. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that uh, we can be here together. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would show what it is that we can have together in you. Lord, be with us now as we sing the truth of what we have together in Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Service. Join us next week.